You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 263 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm okay, Val. I'm all right. I'm, (laughs) what am I? I don't know what I am. You remember last week we were discussing how ridiculously busy my head was with the Mm. the addition of Christmas action in on top of all the other action. It was so much action going on it's so like honestly like I reckon if you could like picture the inside of my head sometimes it would be <laughs> scary pretty pretty scary ride for most people yeah like I really think so there's so much going on in there but uh in good news uh yes. school is over yes. and so that takes one lot of out there Christmas is more or less you know under control mm-hmm. and so now I'm just ready to kind of I don't know I'm just ready to slide on through into the into the kind of new year now. I'm ready for that. And I'm going to, uh, the boys and I have decided that this year is the year that we are going to, because we live on the south coast, as you know, of New South Wales. Um, We're sort of just near Jervis Bay, which of course is beautiful. And uh, they have a 100 beach challenge. And the boys and I have decided that we haven't ticked off enough beaches on our 100 beach challenge. We have a wall poster where you can actually like tick the beaches off that you've been to. And obviously being local, we have been to um, quite a few beaches, different beaches, but you also tend to go to the same ones all the time because, you know, um, Book Boy is a surf lifesaver these days. So he spends a lot of time um, at Colborough Beach, which is where he patrols. Um, oh, so we lovely. often will go there because it's close. We also like to take Procrasti Pup for long walks on the beach out there because there's a dog-friendly beach so he can just like run. God, he loves it so much. You should oh. see him. He just loves it so much. We have to take the football with us to try and to make sure he comes back. So he will always come back for the ball. So we basically kick the ball, he runs for the ball, and then we we ch- we all chase after it. So it's excellent exercise for the whole family. We probably look a little bit crazy, but that's what we do. Um, so anyway, we get ten up. You know, you end up going to the same beaches. So this year, yeah, we have decided in the in the school holidays that we are going to attempt to tick off some more of these beaches. So yeah. So if I you're coming ask- down to the south coast, get the poster. It's cool. It's really okay. Cool. So the poster is so the hundred beaches challenge is not a a, a challenge that your family has. No, no, it's on. a thing. It's- no, no, uh, it's a thing. Uh, right. If you drop into the tourist information centre, any tourist information centre, basically from about Gerringong down to Ulladulla, um, which is, you know, it's not a huge amount of space to have 100 beaches, but we've got them. Mm. Um, so they, if you drop into any tourist information centre, you pick up the, you know, the brochure, the Shoalhaven brochure, and sure enough, in the back is this poster that you can pull out with the 100 beaches. And so it's got all the beaches on the front with a little tick box and then on the back it's got a map it shows you where they all are um you know so that's what we do we're what gonna a do clever some idea 
Oh, it's brilliant. The reason they do it, do you know why they do it? I'll tell you why they've done it. Tourism? Um, it's, it's only been in the last – no, but wait. I'll t- there's a very specific reason. Okay. So in the last couple of years, they've they've created this 100 Beach Challenge, and the reason that they're doing it is to try to get people off home speech. So if you oh, um, yeah. Google home speech, everybody out mm. there in the whole world um, – you will know that it is, you know, it reputedly has the whitest sand in the world. It is an incredibly beautiful beach, but it is being smashed by tourism, like absolutely smashed and trashed. And it's really sad because it is a lovely beach. No local will go anywhere near it over summer because it Mm. is so ridiculous. But there are three beaches on either side of Himes Beach that are just as beautiful as Himes Beach. In fact, there are 99 other beaches in the Shoalhaven that are just as beautiful as Himes. So what the, the very specific reason that they have done this challenge is to try to get people to see beyond Himes Beach, basically. Clever. Yeah, it's really clever because Jervis Bay is incredibly, incredibly special. And I think if yes. you only go to Himes where you just run into absolute tourist and traffic chaos, then you will never really fully appreciate how incredibly beautiful it is. Look at me. I, they should be hiring me for this, I reckon. right? Uh, but I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, people, there is a reason that we live here and it is because it is absolutely spectacularly beautiful, not just the beaches but all the way down, like in, in, in sort of right into the hinterland and everything. It's a huge rock climbing mecca down here. Here's the thing. Who would have known? <laughs> Um, but people come down here specifically to climb rocks as well. So, and you know. This message was not brought to you not, by the Shoalhaven Tourism Hashtag <laughs> not sponsored. I am passionate about where I live. It is so beautiful. Anyway, that's what I'm doing. You asked me what I was doing. I love and it. And that's what love I'm it. doing. Yeah. I am awesome. Ticking off beaches with my boys. That's what I'm well, doing. Well, I'm going to be doing the one beach challenge. Oh, seriously. <laughs> You need to get out more, babe. <laughs> I do need to get out more. But and look, hey, let's just start with one beach, you know, the yeah, one, one that's actually near me. Yeah. Um, now that it's getting warmer, although it hasn't been very warm lately, but I'm sure that that's going to come over the Christmas break. And um, I will definitely be heading down to the beach with my little, you know, um, fold-up chairs from the hardware store. So Fold-up chairs? Well, not the ones that sit low to the ground, you know, the beach kind of chairs. Don't you just no. take a towel and throw it out and off you go? No. <laughs> How did I know you were going to say that? No, you should see we. You should see us going to the beach. It is hilarious. By the time you take the, like, I would not bother with chairs because I've already got boogie boards, your mm. scuba diving gear. Like, honestly, it's it's an absolute palaver. And um, we have a kayak as well. You know, mm. like it's you pretty much need a trailer. For, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't do the kayak. That's not my job. I can't drive a trailer. So mm. there's no there's no kayaking when it's just mum. We need dad for the kayak <laughs> just okay. to get it there. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I can't even get the kayak on the car. I just, I, I, well, I did, I'm too short. Well, I did suggest to the builder that roof racks might be a more useful choice for me because I can do that with a bit of, you know, whatever, a bit of t- sticky tape and a and an hockey strap. But <laughs> uh, I cannot reverse the trailer and I have no desire to learn at this point in my life. So no, no kayaking with mum. There are other things to do, but Absolutely. in this lead up to Christmas, uh, oh, sorry, we, we should move on. <laughs> we should actually Let's talk, talk about writing, shall we? As opposed to beach <laughs> beach adventures with Al. Hashtag beach adventures with Al. Anyway, well, continue. Well, we want to give a big shout out to Amanda Sasha. Now, Amanda Sasha kindly left us a review on iTunes, and she titled it 
giggle all the way to work, which I think is pretty cute. And Amanda Sasha has said, I have people constantly staring at me on my walk to work. I'm either grinning wildly or laughing out loud. I think I need a t-shirt with I'm listening to you, so you want to be a writer. And that's why I look so happy written on it. I always take away many words of wisdom and little gems that pop up every now and then when I need them, which keep me motivated. Thank you for the fantastic podcast and interviews with amazing authors. Thank you, Amanda Sasha. That's really awesome of you to take the time to leave us that review on iTunes. Um, really, I think really she's laughing at you, actually. No, no, she's, no, she's laughing She's giggling at you, at you really. <laughs> Really? Or giggling with you, maybe, because you do giggle. (laughs) All right. If you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Now, big thank you to everyone also in our Facebook community. If you're not already in our Facebook community, then make sure you join. All you need to do is search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free to join. And we'd love to have you in there. There's so many awesome people from all walks of life. And one of the things we did because we thought, see, Alison and I actually caught up for drinks. Well, it was actually at the uh, Australian Writers' Centre Christmas party for presenters. And uh, we caught up for, for drinks and thought, you know what, we should do something different for our Christmas episode. So this is our Christmas episode, like our Love Actually episode. And or um, more like our diehard episode, I reckon. <laughs> could be I feel like it has the potential to go horribly, horribly wrong. But anyway, it's it more could. diehard than love, actually. It could. Mm. So we decided to do for our final episode, throw it all to you, to everyone in the Facebook group, in the podcast community, and let you know that you could ask us anything. So there's a whole heap of questions. We might not even be able to get through all of them, but don't worry, we'll just um, carry them over into a different episode or a bonus episode. Um, we, We threw it open to you guys to say that you could ask us anything. Yes, anything. And you had to put your question in that thread in Facebook and that we would answer it on this episode. So we have that uh, post, that thread open right now, and we want to tell you that we haven't pre-read them. No, so we have. Like I went through and liked people that had actually. Oh, like okay. I've, I've, but I've scanned them, but I haven't you actually. Them. Okay. All I, all I did was scan them and go, wow, there's a lot of questions yeah, yeah. and move on. <laughs> all <laughs> right. So we've, how are we going to do this? So I'll scan them. I have, I've only read maybe the first one and okay. um, I haven't read the others because I wanted to, it to be a surprise. Oh. So, but you know, good on you for being conscientious, Al. Well, I just wanted to <laughs> let people know that I was, you know, that I was sure. interested. Yeah. yeah. I'm interested too. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So uh, we're going to go through them and we're going to go through them in the order in which they were posted. So while they may seem all over the place and unrelated to each other, I think that will make for interesting conversation. So shall we get started? This this is what this episode is about. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So we're going to, there's, there's lots of questions. So we're actually going to do them um, uh, like a speedy speed round. In a we're doing speed dating. Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not going to try and talk too fast because we know that there are some people that listen to us at one and a half times. Do they really? <laughs> Yeah, we've had people. You must sound like a total chipmunk when they do that. (laughs) One and a half times isn't actually that fast. It's when you do it two times that it does start sounding weird. Okay. All right. 
First question from Janelle, favourite Christmas movie, just to get into the spirit of things, which is an awesome first question. Go, Al. Um, I just – Christmas movies are not really my thing. Me my too. Son, my son has this one that he got with free with the Daily Telegraph about – or Sunday Telegraph about seven years ago, which is mm-hmm. about a cow called Annabelle, mm-hmm. and we watch that every year. So maybe Annabelle the cow. I can't even remember what it's called. Maybe wow. that is it. But I actually – like we could then discuss because I'm looking at this and Matt Ward has come in and said Die Hard and I do really like Die Hard and then I we have to have the Die question, Hard. is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And the builder and I were actually debating this the other day because we were mm-hmm. discussing whether we'd watch it with with our um, Christmas-loving son who's 11. Um, and I said, well, it, it, there is Christmas involved. Like, yeah, I, I reckon. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too because I must admit um, – I'm not a Christmas movie kind of person. I actually sit there going, oh, my God, this is going to date so quickly. Why did they make this a Christmas movie? (laughs) (laughs) That's such a huge thing to say. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. So um, I I actually like Matt Ward's suggestion of Die Hard because I'm a big Die Hard fan. I've watched every Die Hard and not only watched it, I think I've watched Die Hard for about – one million times and Die Hard 5 at least 500,000 times. So I'm a big Die Hard fan. So I'm just going to say Die Hard. Okay. Okay. All right. And yours is Annabelle the Cow. Yeah, if only I could remember the name of it. But, yeah, I think it's Annabelle the Cow. And it's only because it has such lovely connotations of, you know, watching it with my my little boy who's now not quite so little, but anyway. Yeah, so we have diverse tastes. All right, Re- <laughs> rereading a book you love instead of spending that time reading a new book. Discuss. That's from James. Uh, go out. Yeah, I'm not a mad rereader. I am actually a new book person most most of the time. There are some books I have reread several times, uh, Harry Potter being one, Lord of the Rings, be, like I'm talking about the series here, Lord of the Rings being another. But, like, it's got to be a very, very complex yes. – there's got to be some real stuff going on in a book for me to reread it. Um, I generally would prefer a new book and I think that that's – so – Rereading is great as a writer because you know what's going to happen. You start to see where things are happening. You get to see where the writer's mm. done things. You can pull it apart structurally. Um, but I prefer – I'm always more interested in a new story, you know, something I don't know where yes. what's going to happen. I'd rather yes. have that. What about you? I would love to reread books, but just on a practical level, I don't have the time because I actually have to read so many books Mm. that I have to just move on to the next one. I don't actually have the time to reread the ones I want to reread. So yeah, I don't reread very much these days because just the uh, nature of my job, I have to move on to the next one. Mm. All right. Natalie has said, which books do you fondly remember being read to you as a child? Hmm. Okay. Dr. Seuss. I remember Green oh. Eggs and Ham. Um, I started reading that to my own kids when they were naught. Um, mm. And but you know, I started reading myself pretty early. And once I started reading myself, I didn't want to be read to anymore. I read myself. So all of the books that people will talk about having read to them are mostly books that I have read to myself because I, you know, as my mother will tell you, uh, I was always quite an independent child and I didn't, you know, I like to do things my own way. I know this will surprise you, but I, I like to do things my own way. And so I was pretty much 
um, yeah, once I got the hang of reading, which I got pretty early, I was I was off, and it was very much me reading things that I that I wanted to read. What about you? I yeah, I don't actually remember being read to as a child, and I've got a pretty good memory of my childhood. Um, I think that's also just because maybe. I don't know, somehow I started reading early and I started just devouring books. One of the things my parents did do was, um, do you remember the Arrow Book Club? Mm. Did you have that at your school? Oh, so yeah, if, we had a we had a book club, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you get the catalogue in those yeah, days. Yeah, we used no to get online. a book every time, yeah. Yes, so you get the catalogue and you can buy yeah. all – there's a big, huge, diverse range of different types of books from nonfiction to fiction to everything in between. Um, and uh, one of the things that my parents did do is I could, I could literally order anything from the Arrow Book Club. So whether that was one book or five books, I could order anything from the Arrow Book Club um, – and uh, and I think that really, really, really fostered my my love of reading. So mm. I don't recall being read to as a child, uh, but I did love, love, love. Just as you've said, the um, the Doctor Seuss books. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And Richard Scarry. Oh um, yes, lo- and I like, like those busy love. those. Remember those busy ones where you'd have the whole yes. picture there, and you'd be sort of like looking at what all the different people were doing, and they yes. they were they're great story starters. Those I books because love so Scary. much detail in every single little person and what they're actually doing. Yep. It's brilliant. Absolutely. In fact, I'm on the hunt for some Richard Scarry books now. I I just love them so much. Mm. Um, for anyone who's not familiar, that's Scarry as in S C A R R Y. Mm. All right. Liz has said, hooray, you both fit so many things in. I'd love to know your top productivity tips for getting through your to-do lists. Go nuts. Um, boringly, structure, mm. routine, lists. Mm. Um, I Actually, I did a – how's this, Val? I did a Facebook <laughs> Live in the Your Kids Next Read group last week, which is my second Facebook Live ever in my whole entire life. Wow, so you cool. can imagine – well, I was a bit nervous. I'm I'm so bad at the whole stopping, starting, crazy smile on my face, you know, thing that I mm-hmm. – anyway, that's a long story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking about it in that. I, I was saying how people think that, um, you know, creative people and authors are so wafty and musy and all that sort of stuff. But in actual fact, all of the people that I know that are published, that get stuff done, they are absolutely timetable-driven. Like it, it's just you, you yeah. have to actually write it on your timetable. You have to prioritise what you need to do. And it's all about, I am going to write from, you know, 10 to 11 on Tuesday, and then I'm going to do X, and then I'm going to do Y, mm. and I've got to do X. So yeah, if, if I didn't, if I didn't do that, then I would get nothing done. It's really routine, structure, yep. lists all the way. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so one of my top tips is setting yourself up, uh, whether that's a physical space or whether that's your devices, so that you can literally pick up um, whatever device you're on and do stuff at any time. Because, you know, Alison often talks about writing in snatched time, you know, mm. like the five minutes that you have while you're waiting for from uh, for your kid at soccer or yep. the just those little, little, you know, 10 minutes you have at the doctor's surgery while you're sitting in the reception area. Don't just sit there and stare into space. That's actually time you can use. And I'm a big, big fan of using that snatched time, whether it's for writing or whether it's for just getting other stuff done, you know, communicating with people, answering emails, um, whatever, planning stuff. So uh, for me, 
I make sure that whatever device I've got, I can do anything. So whether that's my iPhone, my iPad or the computer at home or wherever, anywhere, I can literally pull that device out of my bag while I'm in the car. Like literally yesterday, I was um, about to do a workout and I was waiting for someone. And in the two minutes that it was going to take before he got there, I, I pulled out my device and you, you just got to make sure everything's in the cloud and everything's synced. And therefore, you never have to think, oh, I'll do that when I get back to my computer because that that's just not an issue. So that's my top tip for productivity. Hmm. Fiona has said, what would you be doing if you weren't involved in writing? I'm keen to know this answer. Al? From you. Well, the- <laughs> That's actually a really interesting question because I have it many times over my varied career in writing got annoyed with the whole thing. As you know, Val, you know me well. You know how annoyed I can get with just life in general. Um, and I have thought to myself, I, I really, what am I doing? I'm, you know, I'm driving myself crazy. And because, you know, you do go through times where you drive yourself crazy with writing when you're waiting for things, when you're, you know, like I, I, I do have my moments. And um the only thing that has ever kept me going is the fact that I can't think what else I'd be doing. <laughs> like, what else would I be doing? But the truth of the matter is that if I had been going to have a major career change at any time in my life, I probably would have ended up somewhere in horticulture. Oh, whoa. Are you shocked? <laughs> I know. You um, really weren't expecting that, were you? No. No, uh, I, would, okay. I would end up with plants somewhere. I really, I, wow. yeah, that's where I would be. That's what okay. I was doing. Well, you are, you do have a green thumb and your fantastic garden, so I suppose yeah. I shouldn't be shocked. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. What would you well, do? Um, what would I do? I suppose, it, uh, you know, we've discussed this on the podcast before, but it would probably be no surprise that my current side obsession is art and creating yes. artworks. So it would be, uh, you know, immersing myself in the world of art. So, yeah, great question, Fiona. Well, All I right. would have said singing or something, but, like, realistically, that's just as, like, you know, I was just I was trying to think of something that would be more stable. <laughs> yeah and plants are that (laughs) (laughs) all right you could be a singing gardener it could be i well you know i am you should my poor neighbors they get a concert every time i go out and weed yeah they must love it maybe love it what do you sing while you're in oh all sorts of things i have i have i'm like a walking jukebox like i have a huge array of songs in my head and it just depends on what comes out on the day but um yeah i go through a whole range of things yeah i'm one of those people where if you start you know people start singing a song i just join in or if you give me a line i I love rock quiz you know where you have to pick pick the riff or if they give you a line and you have to sing the next one i'm that i'm i'm yeah, and I'm also like Miff, <laughs> Miff Warhurst. I used to love watching her on um, Speaks and Specs. You know how they would do the line in the song and then you'd have to pick the song and she has yes. to sing from the start of the song to get to the song to get yes, to yes, where she, yes. I'm that too. Like yes. I've got to like work through the whole song to get, you know, where I'm going. So, yeah, I'm, anyway, total sidetrack. Where are, what's our next total question? Total sidetrack. What books have you bought for Christmas gifts this year? Oh, that's a good question. So I've done all the nieces and nephews and I have bought a huge array of uh, children's books. I bought two Jacqueline Harvey books. She has a series called Kenzie and Max and I bought the first one for one niece and the second one for another niece who's already read the first. And the joy of that was, of course, Jacqueline and I are friends and so she signed them for me. Um, I bought Sue uh, Whiting's book, uh, The Deep Dark Forest, for my mm. two-year-old 
niece because it's got beautiful rhyme and rhythm and stuff in it. And uh, I know Sue, so she bought she signed that for me, so that was great. I bought Oliver Pomavan's Natural Born Loser for my 11-year-old nephew um, because my own 11-year-old read it and loved it. So I thought, great, let's buy it for, for him as well. For my uh, 14, I've got two 14-year-old nephews. I bought them, one of them I bought War Games by Marie Lu, which is um, a gaming-based thing. And again, my 11-year-old had read it and really loved it. And my that particular nephew was quite into gaming too, so I got it for him. And my other one, my other nephew, who's a bit kind of, um, you know, he's a bit of a sensitive songwriting poetic type, I bought him Barry Johnsberg's book, which is called a song only I can hear. It's about a boy who writes songs. Um, so those are all the kids' books, I think. Oh, and I also bought All the Ways to Be Smart uh, by Davina Bell for my five-year-old nephew because it's it's all about – it's a beautiful book. Gosh, it's lovely. It's, um, it's about how being a smart kid is not necessarily just about adding up two and two but all the different ways that you can be clever, like building houses and, you know, out of sticks and, oh, it's a, it's a lovely book. I would, you know, if you're looking for something for that sort of, I reckon for uh, probably even three to six age group, it's, it's a lovely, lovely picture book for them. So look at that. And then I've bought a whole range of other just random stuff. I've got Eddie Wu's book about, um, for my, for my 11 year old about um, maths and I've got, um, uh, Dr. Carl and Adam Spencer have both got new books out. I bought those for Book Boy. Like, you know, like I, I'm the book queen. I've got books for everyone, basically. Wow. What about, what about you? I'm, I'm talking to Eddie Wu next week, actually. So, um, Are you? Yeah. For the podcast? Well, no. Why not? <laughs> Maybe Talk I to him about, How did the maths guy end up writing the book? Ask him. Talk to him. Yes. Oh, anyway, what are you talking to him okay. for? Okay, so I'm 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 cheating on you, Al. <gasps> I'm cheating what? on you. Yeah, I'm interviewing him for another podcast, but maybe oh, that's I'll how... ask him. What do you to... mean you're interviewing for another podcast? Yeah, I know. So I am doing this um, pop-up podcast series uh, because in, it, with uh, as part of my role as curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival, which is coming oh, up in February 2019. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So in January, we're releasing a whole series of interviews with um, a whole heap of interesting uh, Australians who celebrate Sydney Lunar, well, who celebrate Lunar New Year. And um he is one of them, but uh, I will see what I can do. Okay. Yeah, cool. Anyway, so, <clears throat> moving right in on. relation to uh, the books, yes, I've bought for Christmas gifts. Okay, so the question, so technically, because the question is, what books have you bought for Christmas gifts this year? And the answer, technically, to that question is zero. But I, you haven't I haven't done it yet. I haven't done my Christmas shopping. <laughs> hilarious but I am going to and I have to say even though I am a very big book buyer, book buyer at uh, Christmas I'm actually going to buy more books this Christmas than I would have even a week ago mm-hmm. why because you may dun, recall dun, dun. that I have spoken um, on the podcast about the fact that my local bookshop despite because it's a bookshop cafe despite serving food for 30 years in, and I would go there for lunch every single Saturday unless I was overseas or something. It was my thing. It was my Saturday ritual. I would go there for lunch. It's not like a fancy lunch or anything. It was just like a toasty or, you know, whatever. Um, and I would go there for lunch and invariably I would buy one to three books. I'm talking every single week. That's a lot mm-hmm. of 
books mm-hmm. and it was a great ritual that I loved because I'd read the paper there and mm. stuff. Uh, but some months ago they decided to stop food, which mm. was to me quite strange for a bookshop cafe. Mm. But uh, but that's where I went for lunch, you know, mm. like it was my thing. So mm. I stopped getting I, – I, I got out of that habit and I just thought it was really strange that a bookshop cafe would no longer serve food. It still served coffees. But I discovered on the weekend that, that just passed that in January they're bringing food back. Ah. Oh. Proper food. Like they're bringing food back. And so I was so excited. I bought a book straight away and will continue to do so. Um, and I, I will reinstate my Saturday ritual. Because, you know, it's like – so I'm going to buy even more books than I was a week ago because to support um, them in their hour of bringing the food back. Yes, in their Fabulous. wisdom for actually having food. Well, at I the hope cafe. you will be in there buying Al Tate books by the truckload. Of truck course, load. of yes, course. Yes, excellent. That's brilliant. Exactly. See. All, All right. A right. uh, question from Andrew: What is Banoffee? <laughs> right. <laughs> Over to you, Val. I'm not getting involved in this conversation at all. Andrew has said, yes, I need to listen to more podcasts. Okay, so banoffee pie specifically is a uh, dessert that is banana. Banoffee is short for banana and toffee. So basically what it is, there is a biscuit base and then um, on top of that there's caramel. Then on top of that is banana or or, or in in, not sure what order, but it, it depends. And then on top of that is cream. So sometimes there's the cream, then the banana, and sometimes there's the banana, then cream. And sometimes there's cream, then banana, then cream. So <laughs> that's what panoffee is. And it's the most mm. divine, divine, divine dessert ever. All no, right. It's not because it has bananas <laughs> in it. Hence, I am team chocolate. And Andrew, if we need to recap the banoffee <laughs> versus chocolate debate for you at any time, just let me know. Let us know. But just, I am firmly on team chocolate because I do not do bananas in any form. <laughs> okay. Right. Sharon right has along. said, hello, ladies. My question is, how important is the number of followers you have on Twitter before you submit your manuscript to an agent to be considered for representation? Go out. Right. This is, a, this is actually quite a complex question, but I'm going to just break it down a little bit by saying that, first of all, it's the manuscript that your <clears throat> excuse me, it's the manuscript that your agent is going to represent. So it's the manuscript that has to be the best possible thing that you can possibly write before you consider sending it anywhere. So that, you know, that's the key to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. The book is the key. Having said that, what an agent will be looking for is your, some form of online presence, your Mm -hmm. willingness and ability to help promote your own work. And so there's no magic number. This is not about a magic number of followers. You know, if you've got 10,000 followers, if you've got 1,000 followers, then your book is going to get over the line. That is not what the whole author platform is about. Mm-hmm. What it's about is creating networks. It's about having an online presence that so that when an agent does read your manuscript and think this is incredible because this is what this is it, this is what they do first, they read the book and then they go, this is amazing, and then they will Google you to see what they can find out about you. And this is where having a platform is important because this is where you get to control the message of what people find out about you. So this is where your bio is essential. This is where having a little website that is, you know, tidy and has everything on it that you require, where that is important. And then I think it is important to be on at least one or two social media platforms. What those are is entirely up to you. It doesn't have to be Twitter. might be Instagram, might be Facebook, might be Google+, might be whatever it is that you want it to be. But 
It's important that when they Google you, they find you somewhere and they find you actively engaged in just building a profile for yourself. Because I'm here to tell you that I have six books out now, six children's novels. I've also published two nonfiction books. I've done ghostwriting. I've done features writing. I've done all of those things. People are still searching for me online via my name. Mm. And the fa- it's the fact, and I am promoting my own books. Like it's, I've got, you know, a major publisher and I am still putting in a huge amount of work, particularly at various times of the year, to promote my own books. The only way because, you know, the Mapmaker Chronicles, the first book in that series came out four years ago now, which is, you know, it's a long time in bookland, trust me. Um, and so what my platform allows me to do is to continue to have those conversations about that book, to keep that book out there, to talk to readers who've read the book, to do all of those things. And it allows me to basically keep promoting my own work well beyond the two weeks two weeks, maybe six if you're lucky, that a publisher will put in to create, to, to getting your books out into the world. So was that so boxy? Did I answer the question? <laughs> you answered the question, I think, definitely okay. on behalf Good. of both of us. <laughs> Sharon, I hope that so, helps. Yeah. But So it's not a magic number. It's about the yep. book and it's about being there. So the best time to start is now. That you know, yes. start to build, build it at you know, build it, build it, build it because you just never know when that day is going to be that someone is googling yeah. your name. So yeah. just keep working at it, chip away. So no magic, no magic number, and it doesn't have to be Twitter. It could be an, it's it's generally an online presence, and it could be any yeah. other social media platform. Yeah, exactly. all right. I, I I and I would just say ditto for for everything Al said because she answered it perfectly. So Shannon has said, "Are you ready, Al? What's been your oh, favorite no. word of the week?" <laughs> Now, I confess I had to do a little bit of forward research on this because, you know, I, I, it's going to astound you all, but I do not remember one word of the week to, from one week to another. I just don't. She's so interested. Oh, well, you know, I just, I'm sure it all just goes in there and I was, if I had to pull it out, I could. But anyway, mm. I looked at, I, I went back and I had a look at them all and there were some, you know, some interesting words. Um, but I think my favourite was badinage, which oh, means... Yes light-hearted, witty banter or chatter, which, you know, I think sums up for the most point part, except when I'm on my soapbox, sums up the podcast. So I'd say that would be my favourite. That was from episode 239, awesome. if anybody is interested in listening to the entire conversation regarding badinage. <sighs> okay. Um, and I can't choose. They're all, they're all my favourite children. All right. So we'll move on to OI, oh, from Dion, who has said, Oh, I have an evil three-part question. <laughs> All right, number oh. one. Has there been any books this year that you have read and that you felt they didn't take the story far enough or didn't commit fully? Um, number two, which books? And number three, what do you wish they had done and or what would you have done differently? Mm. Well, you know, it's an interesting question. There have been you know, I read a lot of books as, mm. as Val does. Uh, we read, you know, we, we have to, we're kind of like we're reading across a whole range of different, you know, genres, a whole range of different age groups, a whole range of different all the time. 
And are there books that I haven't finished this year? Yes. yes. Do I do I feel the need to finish every book I read? No, I am nope. not one of those people. Life is too short to read a book yep. that is not working for me. Yep. Um, was it because they didn't take the story far enough or commit fully? No, probably not. It was probably more to do with me not really engaging with the characters or me not really uh, finding or me coming across a massive plot hole that just made mm. me go, don't be ridiculous and throw it against the wall. There have been a couple of those. Am I going to name them? No, because yeah. um, that's not what Same. I do. Um, I'm not going to, uh, you know, it's because it, just because a book doesn't work for me doesn't mean it's not going to work for the next person. And I have a very, very strong understanding of how much work people put into those books. Yeah. So, no, I'm not going to name them. Um, and basically what it comes down to, what do I wish they'd done, you know, differently um, is, based, is, is just those things. Maybe the character needed further development. Maybe the... Maybe the plot just, you know, some of the, the question hadn't been asked, you know, it, mm. is this actually, um, what was the word, Kate Forsyth put out a post last week or a couple of weeks ago um, that was she had, was doing an edit on her latest book, which I think is called The, the Blue Rose. And um, she, it, it was a question from her editor and it was essentially, um, you know, it was along the lines of does this make sense? Is this actually plausible? Is this plausible? That was the question she got on this mm. one section. And um, I was discussing it with her at the Australian Writers' Centre because it made me laugh so much because it is the worst question that you could possibly get as an author because you have to, whatever that one small section is, if it's not plausible, mm. you've got to take the whole book apart to put yes. it all back together again. And that's exactly what she had to do. She mm. had to go all the way back to the start because it wasn't plausible. She realised as she was, oh, my God, no, it's not. Why would that character do that? And then she had to go all the way back and fix yeah. it. And, of course, it's much better. She's so much happier with the end result. But well, she she's dealing with 110,000 words or longer. Her books are, you know, massive. And that is an awful lot of words to be, like, piling up out of the sandbox and putting back in, do you know what I mean, To yeah. in a different, in a shape to make a different castle. Um, so, you know, that's probably, I wish it maybe with some of them that at some point someone had asked that question, is this plausible? Because, yeah. you know, that's that's where a lot of books come undone. Um, but, yeah, I'm not going to say which ones they were because I, I, you know, I understand fully, deeply, yeah. painfully yeah. the hard work involved. So I'm not going to mention the names either, but for me, I do definitely toss books and don't read them to the end If um, for a couple of main reasons. Not usually because they didn't take the story far enough or didn't commit fully, but one is if they have plot holes. So if mm. there is a premise that just doesn't make any sense to me and just goes, fundamentally, I don't believe this, so I'm not going to believe the rest of the book. And so there's that. And also if it's confusing. So the thing is, if I'm reading a book and I have to then go back several chapters to because I don't know what character's speaking or there's too many characters, not that there's a problem when there's too many characters, if you um, – if if it's clear, you know, who all those characters are. But sometimes it's if it's too vague and I have to reread too many times, that just doesn't work for me. I don't want to reread the first three chapters five times in order to figure out what's going on in order for me to go on. So if that happens, I don't have the time for that. I just want to read in one go. <clears throat> So um, those books uh, don't end up getting finished as well. All right, Viv has said, how do you mind – no, so how do you find your mind space? 
in the midst of difficult situations, like a spouse or partner who doesn't understand writing and talks or complains all the time about everything. How do you shut stuff like that out? There will be some who will say, shut yourself in a room for X hours and tell them you don't want to be disturbed. Nope, won't work. What is the secret? Well, that's a great question. That is a great question. I feel we talked about this last week, interestingly. Um, And uh, yeah, I feel like we did discuss this. This is the situation where you have to, um, do you remember me banging on about, you know, middle of the night and making yourself, make you know, because I wrote a blog post a long time ago um, about this, about the fact that writing is not convenient. It's not one of those things. It's a really inconvenient thing to do because it is so selfish. It does take you into your own head. And it is one of those situations that not everybody will understand and, um, and so the only way that you can get around that as far as that stuff is concerned is to do it when it is not going to inconvenience anybody but yourself. So that's why, remember I talked about last week how I used to write in the middle of the night when it was, you know, everybody was asleep. So no one needed me. Nobody could complain. There was no one needing a snack. There was nothing. Um, and it, it, that was the best way for me to actually carve that space out around myself that I needed to do that. And it's it's a really interesting thing because people used to say to me, oh, it must be so hard to write with young kids and blah, blah, blah. And it is because, you know, physically they're very tiring, demanding. They're always there um, except when you put them to bed. And when you put them to bed, that's when you do your stuff. doesn't matter what else is requiring doing. You actually have to sit down and get your writing done at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have found as the boys have got older, uh, particularly now that I have a, a 14-year-old, is that they mentally they take up more space than they used to. <laughs> They really do. Emotionally and mentally, they do take up more space now than they used to. And that's actually harder for me to, it's harder for me to write when I'm anxious about a kid than it was when I was exhausted because I'd been, you know, breastfeeding for days or whatever it felt like at the time. Um, so that's actually harder. And that, to me, the, the, that looks at, um, you have to come back to the kinds of practices that we've talked about in the past, which is, you know, I, I walk around the block to calm my mind. I weed the garden, hence my plant thing. You know, I, I use those, those um, mindless repetitive tasks to calm my mind down and it allows the space for, you know, the, for me to then start to work on the story. And I do a lot of that in my head before I ever actually sit down at the computer and write. So, you know, it's it's kind of like write in your head while you're washing the dishes and then snatch that time to get the words on the page, if you, if, if you get what I'm saying. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think mm. that that is very important, what <clears throat> everything um, Al just said. I think also, and you may have already done this, but uh, it's it, it can be useful to have a full and frank discussion with your yeah. spouse or partner. Um, a friend of mine, she is, she was really, um, uh, really wants to de- dedicate more time to her art. So, you know, I talk to a lot of artists these days and she was finding that with her family, you know, it just wasn't happening and they were just always demanding time from her and, and it just wasn't working. So she sat down and had a very, very full and frank discussion with her family and said how much it meant to her and explained to them, you know, that it was something that it was really important to her and that it made her happy. And that was a really great step for her and also a great step for the family to get a full understanding of what they were asking her to give up. Um, so I'm not sure whether that is something that's possible for you, but sometimes they don't necessarily understand how much it means to us. So having that full and frank discussion, at least 
you know, try it once so that, um, you know, there's stuff that isn't unsaid. There aren't assumptions being made. Uh, and following that, um, definitely Al's advice about finding space and time so that it's, you know, when it's not going to impact other people. I also think it's worth having a look. Do you remember like ages ago, many, many podcast episodes ago, we spoke to Rachel Power and mm. she had written a book called Motherhood and Creativity. Yes. So, and it's not necessarily like motherhood is one aspect of this. I, I don't know if you have children, but um, it was about, uh, there were two, she, she'd done two versions of it. The first one was Motherhood and Creativity, The Divided Heart. And the second one was called Motherhood and Creativity. And basically they're still available through Affirm Press. Um, and they, she spoke to a whole bunch of women about how they managed this, the balance between family life and and getting their their work done, getting their writing done, getting their art done, um, their creative work done. And I think it would probably be really worth having a look at Viv, mm-hmm. and just because it's a, the one thing that you do learn from those kind of books is a you're not in this on your own. There's a lot of people out there in the same boat, and b lots of different strategies for how different people manage the situation. Um, and you may be able to find yourself. Um, you know, a strategy within that, you know, for, from what someone else has done. And of the course, that was uh, Rachel Power was interviewed in episode 57, if you want to. Oh, that uh, is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, if you want to look it up. All right. So Danielle has said, who was your favourite author interview this year? Oh, man. All right. Well, while you think of that, my We might have to do a list with that because there's – <laughs> I'd need to go like I'd need to really think about that we we've done some fantastic fantastic yeah. fantastic ones this year I loved the one I did recently with Karen Foxley that I found that really interesting oh, yeah. because she has such a different she has such a different creative method than what I do mm. the way she writes mm. is so different and I I think it's really important to listen to the way that all the different people write because you know you pick up uh different things from different people um, the John Purcell one was really good too because uh, the, the best question for me in that whole thing was um, how he, with such a commercial knowledge of the market as a yeah. bookseller, how you free yourself from that to actually write something that, you know, that's yours as opposed to something that's for the bookshelf, you know. Like I, I yeah. thought that was quite a quite a good one. Um, maybe we do a list. Maybe we do a post or something about this. What do you think? We can maybe both do our top five or our top something what do you think oh yeah so the I I would say that I loved you know all of them Mm. however um one that jumps out was I just really enjoyed chatting to Paul French who wrote City of Devils Mm. uh, just because he was just so dynamic and interesting and entertaining I mean everyone's dynamic interesting entertaining but I think I just particularly liked his just a different take on the way that he um wrote his book and also the immense amount of research that he did into the era so Mm. Um, yeah, I would say poor French for that. But, yeah, we can go into more detail in, mm. you know, not in this episode. So yep. Alyssa has said, how do you create balance in your lives? <laughs> you don't have any, Val. Yeah, I think now I is the time that you actually just go, I have no balance at all. Yeah, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. I have so no balance. Val doesn't. <laughs> so that's my answer. <laughs> and I have balance imposed upon me. <laughs> My family life. 
I think it's probably I, I honestly think if I didn't have a family I would just be sitting in my office by myself with my dog uh, writing all the time I think that's what I would do um, but I I have to be you know I have to actually show up and be present for other people so I, d- I have to do that mm-hmm. all right so Dion has said now that Harry Potter and the cursed child will be in Melbourne for the next five years will you be flying down to see it how uh yeah I reckon I reckon we might take the boys to that. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, I won't be flying down just to see it, but I do go to Melbourne regularly and if I can time it for one of my Melbourne trips, I would definitely go because I do tend to go to shows in Melbourne. Um, so that'll be on the list. Another question from Dionne's favourite piece of informative text you have read this year. Oh, God, I, I have no response to that. I don't Me even know. Either. I don't know. I don't that- think I know. Is that like mm. a? Are we talking about a feature, like an article or a feature Maybe story or something? Yeah. Oh, uh. I don't know, but I can say that uh, one of my weekend rituals, as I've mentioned, is sitting down with the newspapers, the weekend papers, and I do love reading the things like uh, the Australian Magazine and Good Weekend. And you know, every month the Financial Review will have the, its uh, Financial Review magazine. I love reading those, and I find them all informative. And so it would be rare that if you know where a week doesn't go by where I um. I go, oh my God, that's so interesting. And I, 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 you know, tear something out or I, I email it to someone or, or something like that. So I couldn't pick one because I find nonfiction articles interesting all the time. So let's move on then to Lisa's question. This may have already come up, but I'd like to know the story of Al's path to publication. How did you find a publisher for that first novel, Alison? Oh, man, how long have you got, Lisa? (laughs) We could be here for days with this. So it's a really long and involved story. As many of you will know, I was a a journalist for many years. I worked in magazines. I was a um, freelance writer. So I have been writing, writing, writing a long time. I uh, first published two nonfiction books and by publishing two non-fiction books, I got an agent uh, through those. Um, in fact, two agents. The f- I published the first one with one agent and the second one with a different agent. Um, um, and then while the whole time I was doing the non-fiction books and all the features articles and all of those other things, I was writing um, fiction, uh, adult fiction women's fiction, I guess is what they would probably call it these days, commercial fiction. And I have written three three full manuscripts of, of in that area, three full manuscripts. So we're talking about probably 300,000 words there. Um, but I had also written three romance novels, which is where I really first started writing fiction just to kind of, because, you know, I was working for Clio at the time. It made sense to me to write romance because I understood like the the romance market is incredibly categorised and I understood the categories and I understood target audiences. What I didn't really get was the emotional aspect of it. I I thought I was trying to make them too funny. Anyway, so I've written a lot, a lot of manuscripts. And with the second agent for my nonfiction book, we managed to sell one of those novels uh, to a publisher. So I was going to be first published in women's fiction. And I was very, very excited. And I wrote, and I, so that that novel went into into the publisher. And then promptly, the publisher who had bought the book uh, went on maternity leave. And 
anyone who's ever worked in publishing will tell you that if you lose your champion within a publishing house, it is very, it makes your path so much more difficult. Yeah. Anyway, so I ended up with a whole bunch of different editors that I, I reworked it, I reworked it. This is my first novel that I've ever actually done a structural edit on. It's the first novel. I've never been through this process before. So it was a massive, massive learning curve for me. Um, and it sort of worked out to the situation where I'd been working on this thing for about a year. Uh, I still didn't really have a publisher who was in my corner with it. And my agent said, look, you know, I think maybe that we will call this quits at this point. Um, is this really what you want to be your first novel? Because at that stage it had gone so far away from what I'd first written. Um, again, remembering that I am, you know, new to all this and not really um, – and really trying to learn on the run about what all this stuff means and what a structural edit is and how much work – how much of an editor's comments you actually have to take on board and how much you don't. That's That was probably the biggest lesson that I learned out of all of this. Um, so anyway, in the end it was decided that this particular – book was not going to be published, which of course was a devastating place for me to be. However, this had all gone on for a long time. And in the meantime, I had been working, um, I'd been working, I, I, was looking, I was working on another women's manuscript and it was sort of, you know, it was coming together quite well, but I wasn't really kind of enamoured of it. I wasn't probably not as engaged with it as I should have been. And I'd had these two conversations with my son. One was about how they match the world. And another one was about we were standing out in our backyard and we were staring out into space. I thought we were having a lovely mother and son moment. He was trying to figure out the parameters of how far space went. <laughs> and he turned around and said, you know, how far does it go? And I had to, we had to talk about where the edges were and how no one knows where the edges were. And, you know, you get that feeling of what is out there. So I, I, we were discussing this and I decided that a, a book about a race to map the world would be awesome. Um, but I had never written for children and I didn't know what to do with it. So I didn't do anything. And then my agent uh, said to me, you know, have you got anything for kids? Because they're actively searching for children's manuscripts at the moment. And I said, well, I've got this random idea about map makers. And she said, well, great. Send me a you know, synopsis. And I was like, well, I can't do that. That's not how I work. I'll have to write the book. <laughs> so mm. I did NaNoWriMo. I, I did NaNoWriMo and I wrote that novel. Uh, 50, 000, I ended up with 55,000 words. It took me six weeks. And um, I sent that off to her uh, just before Christmas. And um, it went out to all the publishers and sort of like, it took again about six, it takes a long time. About six months later, I had a deal for three books in that series. So I'd never written serious fiction. I'd never written for children. I had to make the whole thing up as I went along. Um, and that's basically how how I got my deal. But the, the news about that particular, that that particular book had been taken up came at around about the same time as my other one. It was decided that my other one wasn't going to be published. So the one piece of advice I would give you out of all of that is to keep writing. Even if you've sent something off for publication, it, you know, even if it's been accepted, write something else. Take your mind off what is going on with all of that book out there in the ether and write something else because you never know it might actually be the something else that you write that ends up getting published. So the Mapmaker Chronicles came out, first book, 2014. Awesome. Okay. Told you it was a long story. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's cool. All right. So Joe has asked, what are your favourite books of all time? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> oh, that's a big question. This is this is my least favorite question of all. 
ever. How really? can you pick? How can you I, pick? You can't. Like you said, no. every time you read something, it's your favourite book of the moment. And Yes. Um, and as I said, I'm not a mad reread. I guess I would have to – maybe it's Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings because they're the ones that I do reread. So – Maybe it's them. Are they my favourites? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a favourites person, really. Mm. I'm a person who, you know, I have a broad a broad range of interests. So, I can say that I do like almost everything that Michael Lewis writes. I haven't read his latest book, but um, I love many of his other books. Uh, so sometimes you have favourite authors, but I don't know about your favourite a favourite book of all time. Mm. So sorry, sorry we're not that good on that yeah, one. Yeah, no. Damon has said Banoffee or chocolate. Well, I think it's clear it's I'm chocolate. Team Banoffee and Alison is Team Chocolate. Most definitely. Sonia has said, "Do you ever, do you ever, in capital letters, like any of my furious fiction pieces? I know I'm not a writer, like a real writer, but still. Well, Sonia, definitely you are a writer. If you write, you're a writer. There's no such diff." thing there's no difference between a writer and a real writer you are a writer if you write and presumably you do write so you are a writer I love everyone's furious fiction pieces because it shows that people are writing and that they're giving it a go which is the most important thing to me it's completely irrelevant whether you win or get on the shortlist or whatever it's all about participating and the mere act of participating is great practice and the mere act of participating means that you are generating the kind of energy that that means you're putting yourself out there in some way. And sometimes you have to put yourself out there in a number of different situations and different, whether it's competitions or prizes or, or anything before, so that you can hone your craft. You know, there are some people, for example, who I was talking to um, someone who was saying that if you've got, say, a business idea, don't even worry about whether it's good or not, or anything until he has a hundred coffees rule. You have to have 100 coffees as in have a coffee with somebody, not a coffee by yourself, mm. sit down and have a coffee with somebody to um, uh, to t- t- discuss your business idea before you can actually start seeing traction about it. So if you've only entered 10 Furious Fictions, you know, that keep going because sometimes you just, the mere act of doing something is the thing that gets the momentum going. And if you have a spirit of, um, you know, discouragement, or if you think, oh, I didn't get anywhere, that's the wrong attitude. You did get somewhere by the mere fact that you have entered. That's my mm. little soapbox. Absolutely. So, Go you. Ma- let's move on to Anne's question. I am mad for poetry. How about you two? That's a good question. This is a good question. Um, I do like poetry. I have to say that I am actually more mad for song lyrics. I am mm. someone who likes poetry uh, put to music, which is essentially what I think a lot of very good songs are. Hamilton. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Keep Beautiful. going. <laughs> Do you have anything else you'd like to add at this point? Um, but interestingly, um, I have probably read more poetry in the last year than I have read in a really long time. And there's a a reason for that, which is that my 14-year-old is obsessed with poetry and keeps bringing me poems to read. Oh, my God, Bob, look at this. It's amazing. And so I, I find myself, you know, reading Eliot and Larkin and he's obsessed with Philip Larkin and um, and others more so than I have read forever, probably since I was last at uni. So I think wow. sometimes – you know, we get out of practice, we get out of the habit of poetry, yes. um, and it's really lovely for me to have someone to bring me back to it. So I will yeah. say that. 
Yeah, I used to, um, I, I mean, I do love poetry and I used to be much more immersed in it than I am today. I remember the days when the newspaper used to publish poems. Do you yeah, remember that? Like, I do. And I had I a poem loved... published in the newspaper. Oh, wow. That is when so I was cool. 11. That is so cool. Um, so I remember, you know, opening the pages of a spectrum in the Sydney Morning Herald and just devouring the poems in there, Some liking some and not liking some. But I used to be more immersed in it and um, it, I used to, you know, kind of tentatively go to poetry slams and, you know, spoken word events and stuff like that. And it's interesting, actually. I've never told this to anyone, but um, I was asked to uh, do a thing for a spoken word event and they, for some reason, they put me on last. And I, so I had written this spoken word piece and I had, when I said yes, I thought there would be like six people there. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but there was like hundreds. Mm. <laughs> It was in a nightclub and, uh, you know, it was a big venue. There were hundreds and I went, oh, okay, well, anyway, I'm here. And I I was on last and I did my spoken word piece and um, and it worked really well. And it, it, it worked really well to the point of I was actually shocked at the response and the, you know, the applause and the ovation and the nice words and all that kind of stuff to the point where the nightclub actually – contacted me afterwards and started saying you've got to do this every you know every time we put it on and they wanted me to come they wanted me to host and I was so freaked out that I could not replicate that level Mm. of positive experience that I just didn't answer any of the (laughs) um any of the that's very unlike I know I know but you know I I I, yeah I just and I just never went again isn't that bizarre (laughs) I think spoken word nights are amazing, though. I love the fact that they've had a resurgence. I love the fact mm. that because to me that, you know, I, I feel like poetry is something that, you know, if you can experience that way, it actually makes a whole, it, a huge difference to how you feel about poetry. Because most people, the last time they saw a poem was when they were in high school and they mm. had to dissect it for metaphor and, you know, yep. whatever and and iambic pentameter, et cetera. And it, it's enough to put people off for life, and it does put people off for life. There's yeah. a there's a woman down here called Gabrielle Journey Jones, and she is a spoken word poet, and she does she drums and and you know does stuff, and she is often at the um, the kids day out stuff that I do with the uh, CBCA and the Illawarra, and she comes along and she does a presentation, and she has every kid in the place on their feet, and they are you know uh, clapping with her, and she's wow. and it's extraordinary, and it's so good. But I also just want to give a shout out. Just while we're talking about poetry, I did a, a receive in the post this very week um, a book that I bought, and it's called Scanning the Horizon, and it is a collection of poems by Mark Miller, and it's his third collection of poems, and they're all based around the area that I live because Mark Miller was my high school English teacher. Oh, wow. So he um, he has published his third book of poetry, which I bought uh, via. Gin and Dara Press, and um, it's just brilliant because you know I remember you know it's it's amazing how clearly you actually remember you know certain teachers, and I remember him very clearly because the poor man had to put up with me during three unit English back in the day mm-hmm. um, as we studied Tim Winton and a, a couple of other books that I absolutely despise. Sorry, Tim, I'm sure it was amazing, <laughs> but it was just oh my god, did my head in, and. Uh, 
he he put up with me for two years while we just while we while we studied etc and uh, managed to get an extremely good mark out of me so go mark miller scanning the horizon book of poetry based in the Shoalhaven and uh genius really really good so there you are and so there you. poetry there you go and we've just had a <laughs> massive conversation about poetry and i'm sure oh excuse me <clears throat> Sorry about that. I'm sure that Alison, uh, her her comments about Tim Winston's book was just because that was her. Oh, as a it was teen, only because teenager I was, as a top, yeah, I was 17, time. and yes. I was just like, oh, and she had to do it for doing? school. I had to yes. do it for school. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, question from Matt: Any advice on how those of us who work full time jobs and attempt to squeeze writing into our meagre spare time can maintain the passion and motivation to keep going when the huge gulf of time and effort required to write a novel stretches out in front of us like a never ending highway of torment? <laughs> okay. Good question. You, you know what? I actually have no advice about this because this is something that you either have in you or you don't. And it's, it's the people who persist and who go down that never-ending highway of torment um, are the ones that come out the other end of it. It is very – it's so internal. This is mm. so internal. But the fact that you're asking the question, Matt, suggests to me that you have it there. Um, mm. it's, and it's just a matter of you. the only person who can do this is you. The only person who can pull that story out of your head is you. And the only way to do it is to show up to that computer or your notebook or however you do it regularly. Habit. Habit is the key to the whole mess. And also different things work for different people. So even though we might suggest some things, it might not work for you. So you, my advice is to try out different things. So for some people, it might be having an accountability group of writers. For other people, it might be, um, you know, like a, what the uh, advice I mentioned before about having everything on all of your devices so that you can write in snatched time. Um, for others, it's a reward system after you've reached a certain number right of words here. in a certain yeah period. Yeah. So yes, you're much nicer things. than me. It's true. There are many strategies that you can try and we do talk about them regularly. I mean, you know, I created a whole course called Make Time to Write, which is all about this. It's all about making the making the space, making the time in your life. But it, it, it does come down to that. To actually get you over the line, you need that internal drive to push you forward. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> Sneha has said, which books have made you cry and why? So the last book that really made me cry was Storm Boy. Aww. I read it when I was 11 and I mm. it, I sobbed. Yes. I sobbed. I might have been in a bad place in my life maybe. Yes. But it absolutely and I haven't I, I read it again. So I did a, I had a podcast conversation with a um a podcaster in the US about it. Um earlier this year maybe towards the end of last year because it was about a book that uh, you know I had to discuss a book that was memorable from my childhood and that book was so memorable to me because of the emotional agony of it mm. that I reread it and I was surprised by a how short it was you know for such a huge impact on me and such a big memory it's actually a very small book it's actually more of a short story that's you know yeah. that's long that's a long short story um and it's still the, the end of it was still I still was sad, you know, even now, all these years later. So, um, yeah, Storm Boy by Colin Teal. So uh, I some books bring tears to my eyes but not that but they don't fall out, you know what I mean? So I'm not sure that means that they yeah, made you cry. Well, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, in terms of actual sobbed, well, but interestingly, this is the truth, but Hamlet. Yeah. Hamlet? 
I know. Obviously, I was in a bad space at the time, perhaps. I don't know, but I sobbed in Hamlet. Like, you know, yeah, burst you out crying. <laughs> burst out crying. Uh, so, yeah, watching Hamlet. Watching it or reading it? No, no, not watching it. Obviously, reading it. <laughs> reading Hamlet made it, reading Hamlet made me cry too, but I think not for that reason. <laughs> and I think also I have um, this, you know, you, you kind of have a sense when a book is going to, is about plumbing the depths of despair and I don't actually at this stage of my life I don't actually enjoy reading those books and if I do read those books I tend to block them um, after I've read them uh, Mm. from my memory because I don't want to dwell on that space all right Wendy has said at the end of that never-ending highway of torment (laughs) stand the gatekeepers how do we maintain hope when the agents and publishers take on so few newcomers I think that one of the first things Wendy is to try to switch your mindset and and actually believe that it's possible and not and while they may be gatekeepers they're gatekeepers who have a key and may give that key to you and I think that if people have a spirit of negativity or a spirit of you know discouragement or a spirit of I'll I'll never get published then guess what you'll never get published um but if you maintain a spirit of positivity and and do all of the things as in you know that that we advise basically in in this podcast and also in our courses where you meet the gatekeepers get to know the gatekeepers go to events that sort of thing then um your chance of getting through getting the key is a lot higher it might sound a bit woo woo but it's quite frankly just the truth and also, I, I think it's really, really important that agents and publishers are always actively looking. Unless, yeah. you know, with agents, they will sometimes close submissions because they have, you know, a huge number. Because, you know, they're people. They have to read all these things. So they might close their submissions for a while while they read all the things and then they come back. But they are actively looking. They want to represent great books they want to publish great books. They want to sell great books. They are this notion that they're all sitting around like not wanting to do this is kind of strange because they're in the business of looking actively for great writers. So, you know, why why not you? Write a great book and it's going to be you. Yeah. Awesome. Sneha said, uh, instead of the top three tips for aspiring writers, what would you say are the top three things not to do that aspiring writers would not normally think of? The non-obvious do-nots. Mm, just does my head in. Well, uh, one thing I will say to you is if you do go to a conference or a writer's festival or whatever, do not slide your manuscript under the toilet door to an agent <laughs> or publisher. Do not. People yes. do. Do not shove your entire manuscript at people. Follow the protocol. It's really, really important that you follow the brief. It yes. doesn't matter what you're doing. Follow the brief. And every single, if you if you look out there, the brief for every single agent, for every single publisher, for every single style of book that you're writing, don't think my magical, you know, blending of dragons and you know, I don't know what is is you know because it's such a genre breaker. It's going to be it's going to be the next big thing. Think mm-hmm. about the rules. The rules are there for actually for a reason. And the best thing you can do is is actually to follow them in a, yeah. in your own in your own way. Like it's really important you do it in your own way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, shoving manuscripts under toilet doors, definite no no. Do not take advice from people without experience. I'm often shocked at, you know, I will meet aspiring writers and they'll say, oh, I did X, Y, Z. And I'll go, oh, 
why did you do that? And they'll say, you know, oh, my uncle told me he published a book once or, or, you know, and maybe he published a book 50 years ago, right? Mm. And the world has changed from 50 years ago. So um, that's nice. Listen to your uncle, but take advice from people who are walking the walk and who are talking the talk. So get, get your advice from the right places. And when you get that advice, follow it if you if it's from a good place so if it's from the Australian Writers Centre if it's from um you know people that that know who are walking the walk and talking the talk follow it because again it surprises me when I say so why did you do that when my advice was actually ABC why did you do XYZ and they'll just go oh because I thought some whatever the reason that they have and it just confounds me but I didn't tell you to do XYZ I told you to do ABC you wouldn't be in this dire situation. And they situation. said, wait a minute, they said, yes, but. Yes, that's right. That's my, top, that's my third top tip. Do not use those words ever. Do not say yes, but. Do not yes. say yes, but to Val. Do not say yes, but to me. Do not yes, but. Because, you know, if someone, particularly if you're getting advice from someone within, you know, is, who is in a position where you would like to be, do not yeah. yes, but them. Because yeah. it means you're not listening at all. Yeah, I'm shocked at the number of people who ask for advice and then not take it. Mm. So, and I love a, so a, a lady called Kate who, you know, I've been given advice to and she is now flying. It's ridiculous. I think she's on her second or third book and not only that, she's just, just you know, been on television. She's been on this, on that. She's just really, really flying in her, in her writing and speaking career. And uh, she said to me once, um, about a year or something after I first met her and, you know, I met her subsequent times after that and gave her advice. She said to me, I realized that if I just did everything you said, it would all happen. And I'm like, yes, that's right. Why doesn't everyone else think that? <laughs> and I well, think that that's but. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but <laughs> the the biggest thing is is um every uh, people say yes, but my book is different, or yes, mm. but I'm different. No, no, no. Okay. Anyway, so look, we are almost. Surely we must. At we've the been end. banging on for hours, so surely that's we right. must. Have, we actually we might have, have to do part two. Yes, we'll have to do a, a bonus episode because we won't be able to fit all of the questions into this one. We hope that you have found some of these Ask Me Anything questions and answers useful. So our final words for the year before we just take a little break. Al, what do you want to say to our awesome, awesome community of listeners? I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you so much for being part of our community. I want to thank you for listening to Val and I bang on about writing every single week. I want to thank you for your feedback. I want to thank you for being part of the of Team Chocolate, frankly. Yeah. Team Chocolate, hashtag Team Chocolate. Um, I want to, yeah, I want to thank you for all of the, you know, we get a lot of joy out of um, not only talking to each other every week, let's face it, we would probably do that anyway, mm-hmm. um, but just out of being part of something that, that is so much bigger and the fact that you're all part of it with us just makes it really, um, really, really special. So, you know, thanks for being part of our team. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. 
I echo all of that. Thank you so much for all of your participation and your encouragement. You know, we wouldn't obviously do any of this without you. We've got some big surprises in store for 2019, which we will announce when we're allowed to. (laughs) Um, But uh, hopefully it's something that we'll be able to, where we'll be able to get lots of this community together. Hint, Uh, hint, hint. Hint, hint. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'm sure I speak on behalf of Al when I say we hope that you have an awesome Christmas, awesome holiday period, however it is that you celebrate, and a wonderful start into 2019. And we'll see you soon back in January. So now, Al, where do we find you online? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, and, of course, connect with both of us in the Facebook group. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next year. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>